the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's up, everyone? This episode is brought to you by two sponsors. We have Dream Symbols. If you've been listening to the show, you should know by now that Mike and I are both big fans of Dream Symbols, especially if you're looking to get kind of a thin, jazzy, somewhat trashy sound into your mix and not have to spend super high-end prices. Check out some Dream Symbols. Uh, I'm partial to the Contact and Bliss lines, but there's also some great stuff across the entire series. They make a bunch of cool effects. So go to DreamSymbols.com. Check it out. Also, go to their website and join their email email list so then you can stay up to date with what they got going on with their new uh, drum hangs they're having throughout the year and then also uh, so you can find out where to find some dream symbols in your market so that's dream symbols this episode is also brought to you by bucks county drums bucks county drums is a pennsylvania based company that specializes in handmade really high-end uh, beautiful sounding and looking drums and they just launched a new series which they're calling the prime series so these are six ply drums available in cherry, walnut, or oak, and they are all single species. So the shell is 100% of that species, and then also the reinforcement rings will be 100% of that species. With the premise being, you get the most pure sound from that species if there's no other wood mixed in. If you're gonna be at the Delaware Drum Show next weekend on February 24th, they will be there, and I'll be playing one of their kits during my clinic. Um, there's three configurations, the 12, 14, 20, that's the classic setup. There's the Criterion, which is a 12, 16, 22, and then the Paragon, which is a 13, 16, 24. The price for just the basic three-piece shell pack is $2,195, which is a great price for a handmade custom kit. All the finishes are standard satin finish. So you should also go to moderndrummer.com and hit the contest button, and then you can enter to win a Bucks County birch snare drum. This is a ply shell drum. It's the same exact drum that I uh, discussed and featured in the March issue in the story on plywood drum shells. Beautiful drum. So go to moderndrummer.com, enter the contest for the Bucks County snare drum giveaway. Uh, and that's it. Let's get the show rolling. What 
is up, everybody? How are you guys doing? Welcome into the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. I'm Mike Johnston. That's Mike Dawson. He'll be joining us shortly. And uh, today we've got a ton of stuff for you. We're going to be talking about coordination exercises for contemporary jazz. We're going to be featuring an artist named Eric Improta. And if you don't know him, if you haven't seen him, you have to. He he all by himself is a showstopper. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the new Gretsch Brooklyn Micro Kit. If you haven't seen Mark Juliana play that... Gadang! We'll give you our picks of the week, and then we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. No, we'll do the listener questions before the picks of the week. How'd I do, Mike? That was hey, tough. Hey, for you, for a live take, good job. Jeez, Kudos. I wouldn't. I, I can guarantee the ad that I read at the beginning of the episode took ten times more takes <laughs> than that. Well, uh, you know, I got to write somewhere in the rundown. Breathe, breathe, yeah, <laughs> breathe. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. All's good. Um, nice. I feel man. like I'm, I've overwhelmed with things to talk about so where do we begin first of all we got to talk about nicholas's beat love it love so, it. it i just and i i like i like the beats but you and i are drummers i've heard beats my whole life sometimes a little bit of music is good it is good and i'm, I'm glad that everyone is branching out and and messing around with synths and getting some friends over to record their bands and doing whatever i also i also enjoy a good you know real kind of bare bones drum groove too so i don't feel like you have to have a full production but Nicholas Beat um, is inspired by John Fishman, who's a drummer in Fish, P-H-I-S-H, and his last mm-hmm. name is Fishman, F-I-S-H-M-A-N. I never really got to the story if, if the band was named because he was Fish, or I don't know what the story is. but I don't know. Anyway, so that was inspired by the Fish song, The Wedge, and he says the piano part was sort of inspired by the Steely Dan song, Peg. So he's pulling from some different inspirations. He's got a Yamaha recording custom kit, some Zildjian A and K cymbals, AKG, nice overheads, Shore Beta 98 on the toms and snare, EVRE 320 on the front of an unported 20-inch bass drum. Dig it. Nice. Sounds great. Very cool. I wasn't allowed to listen to Fish. Because my, parents, they, my parents went to Woodstock and they, they knew what would happen if I listened to Fish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, they, they foresaw the future. They said, if you're going to get hooked on anything green, it's going to be tea. So you can right. listen to Rage Against the Machine, but you can't listen to Fish. Yeah, I can fight the Zabatista <laughs> movement. I don't need to get involved with drugs, Dawson. <laughs> Oh my goodness! It's uh, so funny just being like a white suburban kid running around being like, you know about the Zabatistas, right? Zach De La Roca's against it, you know, it's like what a moron. But yeah, I listen to whatever I want to be sides fish. Anyways, oh, so do you have anything coming up? Let's yeah, get so into some dates, current events, and news. So next weekend, uh, February twenty fourth, it's Sunday. Whatever that date is, the twenty fourth. Yes, I had it right. I am doing a clinic at the Delaware Drum Show. And that is, uh, if you go to DelawareDrum.com, you can get in- info on that. It's kind of like a mini Chicago show with uh, you know, vintage drums, new drums, boutique companies. A few of the bigger brands will be there. Uh, you can buy stuff. You can try stuff. I'll be there giving a clinic on my thing, which is focused mostly on incorporating improvisation into your practice. And then nice. Daniel Glass is going to break down some Gene Krupa uh, sing sing that's sing gonna beats. Be, that's gonna be awesome. So it's gonna be an interesting pairing with him and I. I mean, we've known each other forever, and it's gonna be similar but very different. I think it'll be extremely complimentary. I think I think it'll work really good. And he's such a great presenter and such a great clinician. So yeah. I, I think it'll go really cool. And then you did a podcast recently, right? Oh, that's right. Besides so ours, the um, yeah, my buddy Corey and Phil have a podcast called Drum Brigade. So if you haven't checked it out, check out Drum Brigade. So it's more of like a humorous take on drum podcasts. Those guys are funny. Corey, both those guys 
guys are really incredible drummers. Um, so check it out, Drum Brigade. It's not just a podcast. It's also like a, a, a movement for teachers and kind of established like a culture, like a like Bones Brigade skate culture nice. but for drummers. I love it. Um, so I check love it out, that. Bones Brigade. I just did an episode there. We talked about all Brigade? kinds of stuff. Bones Brigade. Yeah, I did a podcast wow. for Bones Look at you. Hey. <laughs> Stacy Peralta gave you a call. I was like, hey, Mike McGill was uh, on last I week. I was just talking about skateboarding with our buddy Chris Carter. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's called Drum Brigade. They have a podcast. I'm on the, the latest episode. So. That's cool, man. Um, speaking of podcasts, I think I don't know if they reached out to you yet, but the Vintage Drum Expo wants yep. us to do our podcast live from here, being broadcast in Australia. Oh, I haven't heard that 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 twist of the story. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, that's the goal. Is that they want us to do our podcast live, and then they're the crowd there at the Drum Expo in. Uh, I don't know if it's in Melbourne or where it is in Australia, but they'll, it's in Australia. And the Vintage Drum Expo, they want us to podcast live to it. So, all, all right. right, man. Yeah, um, I, I pretty much said, like, we are totally in. Let us know when you figure out how to do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once we just have to show up and do it, not a problem, man. So that should be really cool. What are your uh, dates for your clinics? Yeah, so I've got a UK clinic tour coming up, and I just got the official dates and locations. So uh, I will post this on my social media so you don't have to start writing this stuff down. But in February, starting on the 25th, I'll be at Sound Attack in Colchester. Then I will be on the 26th at Drumazon in Cardiff. Then on the 27th, Rattle and Drum in Derby. We call it Derby. Uh, on the 28th, I'll be at PMT in Manchester. And then on the 30th, I will be in uh, at Drummers Only in Glasgow. So, Wait a minute. nice little we'll clinic tour. the first date again? Uh, the 25th of, Feb- of, sorry, of March. March 25th, okay. Cool. Yep, there Sound Attack in Colchester. So, should be good stuff. Uh, and there's one before that, but that's not part of the Minor Clinic Tour. Um, so I'm still waiting on all the official details, but I'm doing a drum festival, I think, on the 24th somewhere in England as well. That's actually the whole reason I'm going there is for that festival. And then we just tacked on a bunch of dates to the end of that. So should be fun. Good for them. I'm glad Minor was supporting the clinic movement still. You know, it's... It's funny, like they support it so hard overseas because it still does really well overseas. So, yeah, right. I mean, I told Norbert a uh, little behind the scenes of the industry. I I have this date coming up on the twenty fourth, I believe, and it's a drum festival. Uh, but it's a guy that's doing a festival for his first time, so he's kind of setting it all up. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm one of the guests there. So, anyways, I just told Norbert, my rep uh, at Meinl Germany, hey, can you send me and Amber some? just the names and contact info for some places near this so that I could extend my time a little bit. And then the entire Minel promotional team went into work and within a few days I had a whole clinic tour set up. I was like, geez, I was like, I I felt bad. I was like, I really didn't mean for you to do this. I'm happy to do the work, (laughs) but they, you know, it's like I said, it's, it is for them like it would have been here in the 80s and 90s. Clinics still are packed houses, and they're yeah. heavily supported. So uh, so hopefully that, hopefully we can get back to that. You know, And speaking of that, I think we are getting closer to that with <laughs> something you and I were talking about before we started the podcast, which is the emergence of all these new boutique drum shops. 
Yes. I think that's going to be the next wave of clinics is packing out a place that can only hold 50 or 75 people, not trying to turn it into the event of the century, but make it as intimate as possible in these locations that look so incredibly hip and intimate mm-hmm. on their own because these new cats know how to decorate a drum shop. Yep. And you walk into a drum environment, uh, and I think it's just incredible. You said you saw a new one, right? Yeah, it looks like there's a new one in Cincinnati. So if you're in that area, go check out Badges. They did not sponsor this episode. We are just promoting their store, Badges Drum Shop. They have a clinic coming up with, uh, looks like Daru Jones is going to be there. Awesome. It's going to be their debut clinic, I think. So really yeah, I think cool. it's it's an interesting trend that that I would like to maybe ask someone on the manufacturer side, like how do you navigate this if you are Ludwig? All of these shops are going to be featuring classic vintage Ludwig drums. Do you feel like you then need to insist that they purchase a new kit? I mean, how does it It's an interesting new landscape. It's a weird thing. I mean, yeah, if if, you know, if Bryson Nelson jumps in his van with his buddies and they go to 20 different houses like American Pickers yeah. and they <laughs> buy a bunch of gear and bring it back, they can sell it for whatever they want and yeah. Ludwig's and all, out of the yeah. loop. It's all going to be Ludwig and Zildjian. I mean, it's going right. to be <laughs> this, you know, right. maybe some Pisces. Well, I mean, let's be honest. There was a 2006 line of Minels that was pretty, pretty <laughs> vintage, pretty amazing. But no, I mean, that, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be Rogers, Slingerland, yeah. Ludwig. And then I think what would be great is if those companies that have that history, obviously Rogers is making a bit of a comeback and they've got the Dynasonic back out. So Rogers, Gretsch with the round badges, uh, separation between Jasper shells and non-Jasper shells. If those – and then Ludwig obviously – if those companies then want to just get involved a little bit and say, okay, right in that corner is a 2019 broadcaster kit. And right over there is a 1950s round badge kit. Same sizes. Play them both. See what you think. Maybe you like the modern touches. Me personally, as much as I love vintage gear, I can't get over vintage moving parts. Mm. I, I, I'm a heavy hitter. I play hard. I can't. When I look at I, I you know that I'm in the market for a vintage Gretsch kit. Uh, if anyone out there has 2012-14 Starlight <laughs> Sparkle, jack up the price and call me. I don't even care what it costs. I want it so bad. <laughs> I don't even care. There's like need, the I don't one need a, guy who's like, oh, yeah. my God, finally, someone yeah. wants my This kid. is your lottery ticket. I don't even need a bro deal. I, it's all good. Mm. Uh, I'll throw in a year of Mike's lessons. You uh, heard it here. <laughs> so anyways, but when I look at those online, and I mean, I want one to have here so my students can experience, but I look at those spurs, those bass room spurs, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, come on. What do I mean? That's going to buckle on me. So, um, so yeah. So, I mean, there, there are things where, for me personally, if I had my choice between a 50s kit, and I was playing, not just sitting here at my studio, but if I was gigging, loading in, breaking down, I, I, I do want a brand new drum set. They they have, I don't feel that like the drum industry has really done a whole lot in 100 years as far as making drums a thousand times better. They're still drums, and my 1920s yeah. Ludwig sounds amazing, but moving parts, they've come a long way. Yeah, that's the truth. Although, I like to buy, I mean, most of my, I have a couple vintage kits that are like original everything's original um and they never leave my studio for that very reason like the tom mounts and the spurs right. but i have an old ludwig that 
it just got all, I mean, someone put modern spurs on it. And it, and I love the fact that I can just throw it in my car and I don't have to care about it. I mean, I spent right. next to nothing on it. It's not a brand new kit that if it gets one little scratch, I'm going to be freaking out. So I, I'm like carrying the, the rack tom and the bass drum in one hand, like the mount, just <laughs> grabbing it by the mount, just flinging <laughs> it in my car. I'm like, yeah. eh, whatever, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> more worried about scratching your car than the kit. Yeah, I'm just yeah, worried man. about the time and the effort it takes to get this stupid thing into the gig. Yeah, I was actually talking to I called I called all the local not local but all the boutique owners that I knew saying do you have this uh, so I called Bryson Nelson I called uh, Dana Bentley at Bentley's Drum Shop because even though they're such a modern drum shop Dana has a personal huge a huge personal collection of vintage drums and he said I do have a seventies non round badge stop sign um, mm. badge kit he's like it's the same finish you have but it is completely bleached itself out to a totally different color than what you have um, but the, the guy did do which i'm fine with um you know at least i don't have two of the same kits but he was like but the guy did modernize it a little bit and that was actually to me that was a plus because i'm not looking to i'm not a collector i'm not trying to resell this mm-hmm. i was like oh well that's i'm okay with that if there's modern but it was modernized not in a way that i personally wanted but yeah. it was still you know i mean i wouldn't mind that if somebody put modern gretsch spurs on the bass drum it's fine by me like i'm not trying to resell this thing so uh, so yeah. anyway so i did get uh from speaking of boutique drum shops uh wooden weather i think that's in boston mass maybe do you know yeah i don't even know most of these shops i know by their instagram fees at this point right <laughs> well yeah it's funny like i don't follow them for the gear i follow them for the pictures of the gear yeah um but uh so i got from wooden weather i got a 19 early 60s 14 by five and a half eight lug uh, Gretsch round badge snare in Starlight Sparkle. So that's going to be the beginning of this. And then I'm just going to piece it together one drum at a time. Or if I find the kit, then I'll buy the kit. But Do you have the drum um, yet? No. It in, it's in route? No. It's in route. I don't. Dude, the picture was so dope. I don't care. <laughs> no, he did. <laughs> I have had a, quite oh, of these, a few of these aren't places. Aren't you working on a, on a signature snare drum? What the heck's yeah. wrong with you, dude? <laughs> right? <laughs> Not working on it anymore. I got it done. Man, I, I'm... I'm loving that thing. We'll talk about that on another day. But, uh, but yeah, so I think that the whole point of this thing is that I'm enjoying the way that I was geeking out over cameras last year. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying getting back into drum gear. That's cool. But it's also taking me down a historical path because I don't want to get it because it's old. I actually want to know, like, well, okay, wait a minute. So this is a round badge, but it's not a three-ply Jasper shell? Well, when did that change over happen? Uh, yeah. When did they go right. to the six-ply shell? I want to know. We talked uh, about Carter's new Pioneer snare, and I was mm-hmm. asking you, wait, I don't understand. How is that different than my, I think I have it, the dance model snare or whatever mm-hmm. the 20s 14 by 5 was? Um, and I'm starting to really enjoy the history of the drum industry. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, just yeah, just tracing the Ludwig history itself because it got bought and sold several times, and then yep. there was a competing. I mean, the family came out with Ludwig and Ludwig, which became or WFL. There's WFL, all these, yeah, all yeah. these little little twists and turns. And it's then still you got going this, on now. WFL three, yeah. right? He came back. <laughs> yeah, but that and that's totally different. He's going like modern. Everything's modern. There's no right. like throwback style. So it's. That's a that's a pretty storied history, and then you factor in like Slingerland has been bought and sold, and it's been shelled for so long, and Rogers is just finally peeking his head back out. Yeah, Gretsch has I, been the one fun. that's been kind of like survived, even though there was a point a few years back when I thought, all right, they've they've gone full on like generic imprint, like what's going right. on here? When are they going to yeah. come back? But now they're back. That was a scary time for me too, just because I had recently made the move from DW to Gretsch. And I went there 
really not knowing much about modern Gretsch. My knowledge of Gretsch was past Gretsch, and I just assumed it's the same Gretsch. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I was like, this seems very influenced by Fender. Yeah. <laughs> right. This Koi inlaid snare drum was the one that threw me off. I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't know where that connects to Max Roach. I'm out. Um, and then I, I have to say, I mean, it was kind of a scary moment when DW came in and, and did the purchase of the um, distribution of everything and kind of took over Gretsch. Well, all of a sudden, my divorced parents are now back together. And I'm like, yeah. oh, God, I don't yeah, want to see crazy. dad the same route as mom. <laughs> and I have to say, to their credit, DW has really let Gretsch be Gretsch, but also improved the little things that always kind of annoyed people about Gretsch. The quality control has gone through the roof. Yeah. The little moving parts, like even a lightning throw-off doesn't feel anything like an old lightning throw-off. That lightning throw-off, you used to turn it off, and it was just a fishtail wobbling on your mm. snare drum. And, mm, and now yeah, it's yeah. just, there's no side-to-side movement. It's a flawless thing. So I'm, as a Gretsch artist, I'm very happy with the improvements that, that DW has made while letting. And I mean, really, to me, as a drum fan, the only way those two companies can succeed is by letting Gretsch be as Gretsch as possible and letting DW be, quit chasing each other. Let yeah. Gretsch do what they do and let DW be as modern as possible, you know, at yeah. least in my opinion. I, I have no inside knowledge. The last thing I'm going to do is call. Like, Are you guys having a marketing meeting today? Can I sit in on that? Yeah. But from the outside, I do like them to be separate. It's like, OK, I want that focused, direct, super clear tone. Give me my, you know, my brand new DW collector series. Or I want that warm, vintage, modern, with a little bit of modern technology tone, and then I have my Gretsch. So have you I checked out cool. the Gretsch hardware? Is that a thing, or is it still? I keep that? seeing that it's a thing, but I don't have any of it, and I don't know. Once again, no insider knowledge. I don't know if it's just let's. Do you, I mean? Do you even know what happened with Gibraltar? Is Gibraltar its own thing now? Because Gretsch and Gibraltar yeah. used to be kind of together. So yeah, I don't know. I can't speak on that. I think it's. I think it's separate at this point. But I. I don't want to speak out of line. I'm not no, sure. No. No. I agree. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I. I don't know. I. I know this. They haven't contacted me and said, "Hey, do you want to play this, or do you want to at least check it out?" So and I would love. To, I'm always down to check out anything so that I can pass that knowledge on to my students, even if it's not what I play. Yeah. It's still. I mean, that's the reason I'm paying for a sugar snare drum is because I want my students to know. Okay, this is what it does. Uh, and now you can at least check it out, and now you have the knowledge. Do whatever you want with that knowledge. So that's the goal. Now we got way off the fact that there's a lot of cool drum shops out there. But anyway, go support uh, your local. <laughs> feel like we stayed right on point. <laughs> Take that. Uh, yeah, and if, by the way, if you are opening a new drum shop somewhere, please let us know. Like we have yeah, no affiliation sure. with drum shops, and if we speak highly of one over the other, it's only because we have – we have experience with it. And so we'd yeah. love to have experience with as many drum. I mean, that is mine and Mike's dream is that every city has a drum shop like revival drum shop, because that to me was the archetype of, okay, this is how it's done, you know, yeah. or the, at least the, the most current version of it. Obviously there was tons before that, but it was the one that kind of showed up right at the right time with social media and everything. You know, if you think like if pro drum shop in Hollywood would have started yesterday, yeah, then it's yeah. Like, okay, it'd be very similar. Um, yeah, so. because they're kind of like the original that we've, yeah. we've we've often overlooked the fact that they've been doing it and they've been successful. How many years now? Oh God, <laughs> crazy! Yeah. The whole time, it's crazy. All right, let's get into a little bit of education. So we're going to be talking about coordination exercises for contemporary jazz. Uh, who wrote this article? 
Do you not want to talk about Viking first? <laughs> I feel like, you know, it sucks because I really do feel like nailing it. I'm just nailing it right now. Yeah, I want to talk about Viking. So you switched to a th- Shut up. Uh, okay, so what is switching to a three mic setup for you? Does that mean you're going down or do you normally record like I do with two? I mean, you record with a full setup, right? Yeah, so last week, was it last week I talked about how I dismantled my entire yep. studio? So that was for a couple of objectives. One, I need to finally clean it and get rid of some noisy cables. Um, and the main reason was I wanted to just reevaluate what I actually needed to have set up. Because I had 16 microphones connected. Did you really? Yeah. I mean, it, and it, it worked for for certain things I needed it. Like, there's certain times when someone sends me a track and they're like, can you just record this? I need it tomorrow. I just turn everything on, just play. I give them all 16 channels. I can do whatever the heck they want to do with it. Sure. It's not my responsibility. But... Um, <laughs> But so, but I also have, to, um, have a bunch of microphones that I need to review. Um, first up is some Aston. You know, heard of that company, British company? Nope. No. Um, they kind of jumped up on the scene here recently. I think Radiohead was one of the first that I saw was using it. Um, so it's, it's you know it's a simple catalog of mics. There's some large diaphragm condensers and some pencil condensers. So they sent me a set to review. And it, they're kind of like vintage style. So I'm I'm thinking, okay, well I'm just going to do the overhead first. You know what? What can I get with two overheads, um, and then a bass drum mic? So that's where I'm at right now. I've got the Starlight, which is their pencil condensers, um, overhead XY configuration. What's cool about those mics, and we'll do a full review on them later, is they have a laser light. Okay. So you can turn on the light and actually aim it. So you're making uh, sure you're getting the right coverage with the mic. Great idea. Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. So those are my overheads, and then I have, I think it's called the Spirit, the multi-pattern large diaphragm condenser out in front of the kick. Yep. And that's where I really kind of was experimenting, because I am I generally just go like an inch and a half from the head, and just that's my outside mic placement. But I'm like, all right, I've got one mic. I've got to figure out where it actually sounds best. And I'd found that actually one foot out was the, yeah. best, the best mix of low-end punch and not all that tone that you can get when the mic is super close. Right. Yeah, yeah. Gives you a nice warm sound, too. I, You know, I, I remember right around the time that I switched to this two-mic setup was when Aaron Sterling's um, second set of videos came out. So not Sound of Sterloid, but the second set mm-hmm. that were in the smaller batches, the metric modulation, the hip-hop grooves. Yep. And he was talking about his mic setup, and he he goes, and I've got a mic in front of the kick uh i don't know about that far and he just holds up his hands like eh, it's about this far what does it matter and i was like oh wow but i'm looking at his hands i was like <laughs> that looks like about a foot and a half that's you know way further than mine mm-hmm. i'm trying to get as much click and attack so it's like right next to it and when i moved it back i just got so much more warmth and yeah. actually got more low end out of it and so yeah i keep mine about i mean i have one overhead and one kick mic so i have a question for you on the three mm-hmm. mic setup if I was going to go to a three mic setup, so I have a two mic setup right now, yep. would you suggest going to two overheads and then starting to do everything in stereo, or would you suggest that third mic goes somewhere else? Okay, your I think your case is is specific in that most people are listening to your stuff in mono, right? Because it's coming through a, a computer screen or a cell phone or something like right. that. None of this is me tracking for someone else. Yeah, so you don't need left or right spread. Um, and that's the only reason I feel you need to have stereo overheads. If you really want your hi-hat to sound like it's coming from the left side or, you know, that's not important. I would say 
experiment with where that third one goes with maybe like a a close room position like the over the the bass drum shell um, or something more distant. It just depends on what you're looking to add to your sound. If you're looking to get right. some space, then I would do like a five feet in front of the kit, five feet off the ground, and see what that does. Um, that's well, what I would there, do. Don't you sometimes put it between like the ride and the kick and the floor tom, or somewhere yeah, around there? That's the yeah, that's the spot. So it would be kind of like where you would put a cowbell on the bass drum. Okay, and then in that spot, where's the diaphragm pointed? Is it pointed towards you, the drummer? Is it pointed straight up? It is. If you think of the the microphone capsule being equal distant from the toms and the snare and aimed at the snare, okay. the side of the snare. So aimed at the shell and then the same distance from all three drums. And then what is that that one mic? What does that give you? What do you feel it gives you? That gives you, I think it gives you a full kit sound. With, okay. with an emphasis on the bass drum and snare, which is what I you mean, want. That, it really is. I mean, if you think about it, that's where uh, Yamaha puts the mics, you know, somewhat for yeah. the EAD-10. UAD-10? EAD-10. Bat-10? Yeah, I would try that spot because okay. you have, and then you can use your overhead. You could, you know, shove out some of the low end and just have it focus on the cymbal sound, add some okay. clarity there. That would be my suggestion. I don't. I just don't see a need for you to have stereo. I I went with I the agree. stereo symbols because I'm doing, you know, demos and stuff that I right. Want to no, have I agree. Uh, and I've, I've explained that to a lot of people that it would be a waste of time for me. Adds extra work. The thing is, I really like the sound I have right now, so that's why I just haven't moved to a three mic setup. It it sounds like a drum set, and I know one thing that I love, and this is for all of you guys out there. One thing I love about my drum sound coming from at least one overhead is that if there's a problem with the dynamics, it's me. Yeah. If true. the hi-hats were too loud, it's cause I was too loud. I don't have a channel for the hi-hats or the snare drum or the floor Tom. Yeah. I mean, I know that I do have to hit my toms, at least my floor Tom a little bit harder to get it to match everything else just because of the oh, distance. You know, something on that lines, because once I went to this setup, um, I've always had a problem with the rack Tom being louder than the floor Tom. It's also right. because my room has a, has a, node that really emphasizes the rack tom sound okay um, but it really is noticeable when when i only have the three mics so i actually lowered my rack tom almost to the level with my snare and floor tom really and it's i mean it's it's made it slightly uncomfortable but not not ridiculous but that is evened out the toms in the overheads mm. shockingly that, i mean that makes sense it feels like it it's funny it's only four or five six inches higher yeah but, but it's it's noticeable. Sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. it really is. So. All right, well, awesome. We will uh, keep us posted, and uh, we'll look forward to that mic review. Now, can we talk about jazz drumming <laughs> contemporary <laughs> exercises for coordination by Mike <laughs> Alfieri? <Yes>. Alfieri. <laughs> Alfieri. <laughs> because when you think jazz drumming, you think Mike Johnston. I mean, that's how it's been since day one. Goodness People, gracious. <laughs> Skip Although, this segment. We're going to skip this segment here this no, week. No, we shan't. We shan't because I, the one thing that I have actually put some time into is jazz independence. So yeah. looking at these exercises, I'm like, oh, this is home base for me. I've been through this stuff, and it changed so much about my drumming, especially when it came to Afro-Cuban, Afro-Caribbean stuff, when it came to funk drumming. It, you can get so much independence from this vocabulary. So I think that every drummer should go through this, whether they're a fan of jazz or not. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's up for debate of whether you should actually 
listen to the music while you're practicing. I mean, I think if you want to actually play jazz, of course you got to listen to the music. But I also think learning how to play a shuffle and a jazz pattern is going to affect everything you do on the drum set, whether or not you actually play the music. Absolutely, that's, that's called jazz. There's country tunes that have you know shuffles in them. There's there's everything that that has this feel. So yeah. if you don't if you don't if you live in a world of straight sixteenth notes, you're going to be very limited. Yeah, I mean, even like a train beat, I think the reason that I get hired for that kind of work is because I put a little bit of a shuffle in it. Even though mm-hmm. it's a straight feel, I I know that it needs a little bit of a shuffle because that music right. was written back in the when when it was jazz drummers learning how to play rock. Absolutely. Uh, so anyway, the article is in the March issue. It is called Contemporary Coordination Exercises. Um, this is kind of drawing inspiration from what a lot of the, like, really modern jazz guys are doing like Marcus Gilmore in particular where Marcus um, if you haven't checked him out there's not a lot of uh, footage and stuff of him but hopefully that'll change soon hint hint we're going to have something big coming up with him Uh, but uh, he's got insane independence and it's it's not it's a difference between the independence that we think of from the 90s when it was like look at me I can do complicated stuff layered on top of each other Versus where he's just got layers of sound with his, you know, the feet are doing one layer of sound and then the hands are doing a different layer. Or the interaction might be between the right hand and the left foot while the right foot and left hand are improvising. It's really sophisticated. I think it would you would miss it if you weren't, like, to paying attention to the fact that he's playing independent stuff with his left foot. Uh, it just has, like, a flow to it. So, so the exercises are basically, it starts out, getting the left foot to be free. So you got a swing pattern in the right hand. You're, you're splitting the double stroke roll between the snare drum and bass drum. <clears throat> and then you're playing, excuse me, <clears throat> and then you're playing an Afro-Cuban 6-8 bell pattern with your left foot. I think that alone is enough to make most of our brains melt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agreed. Agreed. And, but again, it's, it's left foot clave, which might seem, you know, passe at this point, but I think, first of all, playing clave patterns on the hi-hat instead of a bell or a jam block is way more musical, in my opinion. It doesn't sound like you're playing clave. It just sounds like you're playing some cool figures with the left foot. Um, So he starts there, and then he he switches to where the the ride cymbal goes from the swing pattern to actually playing the 12-8 bembe pattern. So you're switching the right hand while the other limbs continue doing that insane layering of a double stroke roll of stripless with the left foot playing the bell pattern. Honestly, I mean, I think for any drummer out there that's just kind of hitting that intermediate zone and hoping to push into becoming an advanced drummer, honestly, being able to play double strokes as triplets between left hand and right foot to a click, huge. that is a huge achievement. Even hearing the sound of that and hearing what it sounds like to play because that will then change you into be like oh that could have been right left kick kick that could have been just double strokes in general and my right hand moves around the kit there's so many things you can do with these groupings of four in triplets so just starting there would be great then bringing in a quarter note on the ride cymbal would be fantastic then getting that jazz ride pattern going and then eventually bringing in that six eight um or twelve eight afro cuban uh left foot clave which you know, even though we were saying that the left foot clave can be kind of passe, I don't think that the six eight clave is. Most people don't even know that six eight Afro Cuban has its own clave, yeah. and and it's not quite as recognizable as the other. So, in this situation, this can be very very um, 
musical with that left foot part. I will say this. Pete Magadini taught me this stuff a long time ago. And one thing that I would do with the first two exercises, which are the double strokes, is turn your snares off mm-hmm. and then For alternate sure. between snare and rack tom. I'll keep singing that for a while. So that was when I did that and then put the bembe pattern on my right hand. Instantly, it was like, oh, I'm playing music now. I'm not playing drum set beats. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that you know, I do a lot of that, too, where I I play with the snares off. That's something I think it's an underutilized. And what I've been doing past couple days is using a timpani mallet with my left hand to really round out the sound. So I'm still playing a stick on the ride, but then my left hand is playing a mallet, and then the bass yeah, drum man. and the bass drum and the left hand get the same kind of timbre, which mm-hmm. is really fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, I mean, these is, first two exercises, yeah. I think, it's funny because we put this stuff in, in a monthly magazine, and, and I guess the assumption is within four weeks you should be able to play all of this. But I think just Good those luck. two examples... If you've done, if you work through like basic syncopation type exercises, those first two examples could take you the entire month to get down. Um, So this, even just one page with eight examples could be six months of practice, um, depending on how deep you want to go. Because the next thing he does is he says, okay, well, let's switch the roles. So now the bass drum is going to play the bell pattern or the clave, and then the left hand on the snare and the left foot are going to play the doubles as triplets and then you do the same thing you <laughs> know i've I think, never done that i've never played the clave pattern with the bass drum uh nor have i it, especially while doing doubles as triplets between left hand and left foot yeah it's insane but i will say that when i'm going through coordination exercises like this or like anything else i'm always i've got my rabbit ears up for the moment i realize oh my gosh, I could totally use that in a completely different way than the way it was presented to me. But, you know, sometimes you're just doing independence to break your limbs down and just go, okay, I just want to physically be able to do anything that I'm told to do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're looking for, oh man, this independence just granted me the ability to do things physically that I couldn't have done before. And this really fits into a world that I want to play in. Um, You know, it's funny when we get to, we can talk about this more when we get to Eric, but a lot of this Afro-Cuban stuff uh, and then just going to Brazilian stuff that Eloy Casagrande has, a lot of it sounds great when you play heavy. Mm, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, if you take the right-hand part of just a Cuban songo and put it on a stacker and then play your left hand on an 18-inch floor tom, yeah, I it's mean, it, the coolest groove ever. Yeah, and you exactly. mash it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of... That's Eloy's thing, right? He's playing these right. so, sort of folkloric-sounding Brazilian rhythms in a heavier context, and all of a sudden, it's like the most fresh-sounding metal drum totally. you've ever heard. That's why I just don't. I've never thought of this as like, well, if the book says jazz, then you better be into jazz. It's like, why? This is physically demanding. No matter what you're into, right. I'm going to learn it, and then I have to accept the fact that it's not going to sound authentic until I start to care about the music. But sometimes I was stealing from jazz's vocabulary to play the rock and the funk that I was playing, and I knew that going in, so I was quite okay with the fact that it's like, well, I'm I'm using this in a different way. I'm building up my triplet vocabulary. Um, but I also never thought because I worked out of John Riley's book that I could just sit in at an open mic and sound like a, a jazz drummer just because I had the independence. So you have to find that balance between those two. Yeah, it's a good point. I think I think they're they're actually quite 
disconnected in a lot of ways. <laughs> Agreed. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I would if I was attending an open mic and I was just having some tea, I would much rather hear a professional jazz drummer play quarter notes through an entire song on the ride than hear an amazing independent stud muffin get up there and be very technically proficient but have no feel or love for the music. Because mm-hmm. now I just have to listen to you show me what you worked on yesterday, which I don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not why I'm here having tea, is to find out what you practiced yesterday. Uh, so, And the thing is, I mean, as a rock drummer and somebody that's, I guess, transitioned into more of a fusion world, when I hear somebody with great touch literally just play one single note on a ride cymbal, it is so different than what I grew up doing. Um, mm. And then the word touch that we're always we're always around that word when we're in music and in art but then that word touch just really has a very tangible meaning and it's like oh my gosh you literally touch the symbol different than than chad smith would if he had his three a's nylon tips you know it's like it's just going to be a different hit on that one symbol um and there are symbols and i don't know if you agree with this but i've uh my buddy tim metz came over a little while ago with a bunch of old uh k's and if you don't have touch, those symbols don't sound very good. That's true. And also the opposite. I had um, a jazz drummer friend of mine who was coming over to look at some of my stuff, maybe to buy something. And he was testing everything at whisper quiet dynamics, which is it, it elicits mm. a sound from the instrument that is if you're not living in that world, you never pay attention to because you're right. always above that. So he was like, nah, this one's too funky. This one's he, he couldn't find the right mix from the symbols right. I had because it was just that delicate touch. There's a whole different slew of overtones. Yeah. I definitely go through that when coming from a rock background, I would let people know. Like if they would come up to soundcheck back in the day and I had a 20-inch Peisty Rude, they would tap it and go, like, that sounds horrible. I'm like, bro, what did you just do? You tapped it. You need to get six feet back, get a running start, jump Eric and Proto style in the air, and smash that thing. And yeah. even then... And have a wall of guitars and bass. It doesn't sound that great, but once we get the guitar and bass going... But yeah, I mean, so everything has its own touch, its own feel to it. Uh, and I feel like we've really stayed on topic about this lesson. Yeah, what the heck are we talking about here? So check <laughs> oh, out the no. article. If It's advanced coordination. Um, so if if you're kind of new to jazz independence, I would definitely say check out Ron Spagnardi's Progressive Independence Jazz Book or any of the more kind of fundamental coordination books. This, this is one of those I remember reading Modern Drummer when I was a couple years into playing and I'd come across like a, a Joe Morello article or something, and it'd be like, all right, I'm going to throw my magazine out the window. It was just right. so frustratingly yeah. difficult, but it also set the bar like, okay, well, someone can do it, so then what do I need to do to be able to do it? It might it, Some of these things I would print and put in notebooks and practice for years on end. You know what's funny, too, is uh, especially with the Spagnardi stuff and this exact lesson, it's funny how when the note notation itself isn't too dense, you go like, no, I could do that. It's like, dude, yeah. seriously settle in for the long haul. <laughs> it's going to be a while. I know it's, it's not overly dense. I know you don't see like the, the, the triple bars of 30 second notes going yeah. across triple beams of 30 second <laughs> notes, but settle in. All right. We'll check that out. Now it's time to get on to somebody that has all the independence in the world, as well as a little bit of showmanship. If you have not seen Eric and Proto play yet, 
please follow him immediately on Instagram or YouTube. Uh, he's one of the kindest, most humble cats in the entire drum industry. He's a young dude. He's only 29 years old, but he is an absolute beast. And the thing that I'm most impressed with Eric with is he doesn't need even though the world is all supporting him, he doesn't need anybody's help. He has been doing so much just through pure passion and drive over the last few years yeah. that it's just – it's shocking. Like how quick the dude has grown into a superstar. It's amazing. Well, his, it's funny because we did a feature in the March issue. It was mostly about his band Night Versus. And then, you know, oh, by the way, I'm also working in this other band called Fever 333. Well, they were just nominated for a Grammy. So he went immediately into like Grammy-nominated – band so <laughs> crazy crazy and then i mean just because there he's got so much free time then his artwork <laughs> right. on the remo heads and the symbols it's it's pretty unreal you know i met eric i think two years in a row at nam and this is probably like four or five maybe six years ago and he was just early 20s young buck coming up and saying like oh, i really look like what you do and then we spoke a bit I was like, all right, man, cool. I really appreciate that, and thank you so much. And just a normal NAM meeting. Then the next year he comes up, and he's like, hey, man, I'm going to do this thing where I'm going to get a bunch of drummers together, and we're going to mm. do this thing and that. And, it, and totally, you know, e-me, error on my fault. I really just thought, like, dude, you're just another dude that's telling me what you're going to do, but you're never going to do it. And yeah, then he true. did it. He did. And it was some of the best drummers in the world, and he put it all together, and then all of a sudden he was going, going, going. And it's just been like watching a runaway train, and it's been so impressive. Uh, I just couldn't be more stoked for his success. Yeah, so if you're looking for something to check out by Eric and Proda, it, it's Eric with an A, A-R-I-C. Improta, I M P R O T A. If you don't follow him already, he did a 45 minute or a 40 minute performance, completely pre planned, rehearsed drum solo. It's not even a drum solo, it's a performance. It's a performance, yeah. Um, so that's on YouTube, it's on Minel's page. Um, and he was, he's so obsessive. I think he said he practiced it like 100 times in a row, like start to finish before he yeah. would actually perform it. So I'm sure there's a little bit of improvisation, but it's more like a, he, he wrote an entire piece of music. Um, and, this. you know, he talks about it in the article, but, yeah, it was the only thing that didn't come out of Minelfest. Like, they, the footage got corrupted. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's why he had to redo it in the studio with Minel. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So, I mean, but what was great is because of the day, you know, that we're living in, I remember when he was getting ready for that, we got to follow the journey with him as he was preparing for it because you could follow him on Instagram and he would let you in a little bit which is something we never would have seen from the pro drummers 20 or 30 years ago so it's so great yeah. to just be like oh wow you're you're getting ready for this thing but at some point there will be the payoff you will actually do it and we will be invested in that 40 minute performance because we saw all the work you put into it yeah I mean you can um, imagine if I mean to me he kind of represents the monk like dedica dedication of Virgil Donati like yes. I'm just going to dedicate every waking moment to getting better at the instrument, and then the kind of freakazoid artist version of of Zach Hill. It's like totally. you put you put Great. these two yeah. freaks together, and you've got this 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 madman who's like I think Zach is one of my favorites because he's so artistic, but at the same time uncompromising. Like he's pushing his body on the instrument as hard as he possibly can, and right. you've got Virgil who's sole mission is just to be able to master the instrument and then you mix right. the two together and now you've got this artist drummer freak show i mean it's all these things kind of 
coming together. And so can you imagine if Virgil would have had Instagram in the no. 90s? Uh, I can imagine a lot more people wouldn't be playing drums. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody would have quit. Or if he would have done like a live stream. Here's my eight-hour practice session. Yeah, live totally. Stream. <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, you know, the one thing that I love, too, about Eric is that without the dedication, without the obsession, it's a, it would be fluff. It's like, dude, you did a backflip. Rad. You jumped yeah. off your throne. Neat. But the fact that you did it in the midst of fantastic drumming, flawless timing, massive amounts of creativity at a volume that most people physically cannot play at, that's what makes it not fluff. And, it, and then it, it actually makes it cool. Yeah. And I like that he starts his piece not coming out f- like going nuts. He's he's. He's playing pads and triggering vocal sample. It's it's really right. impressive, and I can I can only I'm sure he's going to have something equally as cool next year and next in the following year and the following yeah. year. But it sounds like his band Fever 333 is is going to keep him pretty darn busy, which is fantastic. And I love too that he talks about how that he in our world he is just the freak of freaks as far as physically gifted drummers and and doing what he does with all the acrobatics and stuff but the fact that he says that in his band sometimes he's the laziest one in the band because he's looking out to the front of the stage and seeing that the rest of his band is doing things even crazier than what he's doing he's like oh man I gotta keep up with these cats Um, (laughs) that's gonna keep him going and the fact too like he's been filling in for Goldfinger for last year that's awesome (laughs) I mean does the dude sleep that's what I want to know man you know, sometimes when you see a picture of somebody like Eric saying, like, this is my Valentine's and it's a snare drum, you actually get it. <laughs> you get it. You go, I got it, man. And if you and if there was a girl in the picture, I'm, I feel bad because I can't imagine she gets a lot of attention <laughs> while you're like, hey, honey, I'm going to go to the studio real quick. I'm just going to bang out a 15-hour practice session, and then I'm home, and I am yours. I am yours for eight minutes <laughs> until I start drawing on a drum head. <laughs> So let's listen to some stuff from Eric because uh, it's it's intense for sure, but the drumming's fantastic and the music's great as well. So what are we going to listen to? I want to just pull a chunk from his his performance. This is the performance is called "Blur Lights in go. the Video Drone." thank our sponsors we've got two sponsors this episode dream symbols uh they i've had we've had a lot of emails from listeners saying where can i get some dream symbols i guess they're maybe their local shop or something doesn't carry them so what i suggest you do go to dreamsymbols.com they have a mailing list subscribe to the mailing list because it just needs your email address and if you want to add in your name and where you are it can give you your location um that's probably a good way for you to be in touch with them. And then when they send you some emails, you can then follow up and say, where, you know, where can I find some of these things? So that is dreamsymbols.com. Also check out their YouTube channel. There's a bunch of nice free lessons on there. I just was checking out one this morning that breaks down a Max Roach drum solo from the tune Cherokee. And there was another one that breaks down a Dave Weckl four bar little ditty. 
Um, so that's just YouTube Dream Symbols and Gongs, I think, is their page. But you'll find it. Just search Dream Symbols on YouTube and you'll find it. Our other sponsor is Bucks County Drums. Um, I will be actually using one of their new kits at the Delaware Drum Show next weekend. So if you're coming down, Bucks will be there, and they're going to be displaying what they're calling the Prime Series. Nice. So this is a new line from them. So instead of they have their their semi-solid, which is the high-end custom, you can get any kind of species you want with a solid core. Uh, that's still available. That's fully customized. That's the super high-end stuff. The Prime Series is a ply shell, six-ply shell. It's all one species of wood that, that Chris at Bucks County feels that when you just use one species, you're getting the maximum like timbre from that wood. Um, it is available in, what do we've got? Oak, um, cherry, and walnut. I believe I'm going to be playing the cherry kit. And there's two configurations, three configurations. There's the classic, which is a 12, 14, 20. The criterion, which is 12, 16, 22. And the paragon, which is a 13, 16, 24. They are all in um, natural satin finishes. Um, pricing on those configurations is $2,195. So that is their, not, it's just their more affordable, but still really high-end handmade drum line called the Prime Series. So again, if you're going to be at the Delaware Drum Show, I will be, I think it's a cherry kit. I think it's going to be the classic setup that'll be there. They'll have some other stuff. Also, Modern Drummer is giving away one of their uh, Prime Series snare drums, a birch drum that is featured in the plywood drum shell story in the March issue. So make sure you go to moderndrummer.com, sign up for that contest. It is a 6x14 birch with gold-plated hardware. It's a beautiful drum. It was my favorite of the six from that nice. article. So check it out, moderndrummer.com. Go to the contests, and you can enter the Bucks County giveaway there. Okay, now let's talk about the Gretsch kit. Mm, I will. I will happily <laughs> talk about this. Um, so I think this is maybe kind of new, and maybe you, you would definitely know more than I do about this, but... Uh, it seemed like the trend for a long time was if you make a really small kit, make it really cheap because no one cares anyways, and you're just using it for your second kit. Yeah. But this is a Brooklyn drum set just made in smaller sizes. So this is a high-end, not you know, it's not the USA Custom, but this is a U.S.-made kit. It's, yep. a, it's a great drum set. Uh, but this is not... Uh, I would say cost-wise and quality-wise, this isn't just throw it in the car, don't care about it. These are really nice drums. Yeah, I mean, the retail price on the four-piece four piece configuration, which is a 10-inch rack tom, 13-inch floor tom, 13-inch snare, 16-inch bass drum, that's still uh, about $3,200. So it's, it's full-on professional drums, and they played and sound and felt like that. They, weren't, they didn't feel like toys in any way, right. shape, or form. Yeah, and I, I saw on YouTube when researching this, I saw Mark play it, uh, mm -hmm. the Blue Whale, and when he played it in the jazz tuning, it sounded exactly like what I thought it would sound like when mm -hmm. he brought it down, and he talked about it in the video, but I was really impressed with like, oh my gosh, that's a really cool sounding kit. Well, first of all, it sounds amazing, but it also is different. It doesn't sound like... 2012 14 yeah. medium tuning it sounds like its own thing it's its own animal i mean i think that uh i think a lot of drummers could find a role for this kit as like a primary kit for them if it fit their sound yeah i mean it did it did the obvious high elvin jones kind of sound really really well um the bass drum was 
interesting. When I took it up to that really tight um, tuning, it, it lost like almost all the bass drum low end, which was cool because then I could just play it like a floor tom. Right. Like the sustain kind of sh- got short. It just it just sounded like a high tom, which was cool. But then when I put it in like the middle and low, all of a sudden, like, oh, I could I could actually record this. It sounded like a hip hop drum or something. Right. Um, and um, so, yeah, the 16, it comes with a lifter, too. So I think that's an important uh, note. So the it's a small 16 inch drum, but it's on a lift so you can raise it up a couple inches. So it, it didn't feel like a small drum to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. It, I've had this configuration with the lifter with the 16-inch uh, Manukache kit uh, mm-hmm. that Yamaha put out years ago. And as long as you can get that the bass drum pedal to hit somewhere near the middle of the head, then it feels pretty normal. Yeah. It, it just um, – and so this comes with extra long bass drum spurs so yep. that – on the lifter everything works out great um the one thing i was really impressed with and we'll listen to it in just a second but i don't know that 10 inch tom sounded amazing in multiple tunings yeah um and and it got really cool and the other thing that you guys should know on the hardware side is and i really hope this becomes more normal but the bracket the mounting bracket for the 10 inch tom is mounted to the shell and i have that on i've been having gretch do that for at least for the first three or four kits I had them make me, uh, I mean, I'm talking years ago, I had them do that because it was the only way I could get the Tom where I wanted it. But then it also, we also changed this thing where it's like, okay, well, why are you guys shooting for so much sustain when then everyone puts gels and tape all over their drums? I don't yeah, understand. Exactly. Yeah. But I really can't, and I have my 12-inch now, I have one that's mounted directly to the shell like this. And then I have one that has the sustain system from the Renown series, and there's not a lot of difference. So uh, I think that this is a great way to mount the drum personally. Yeah, I think it gets a bad rap because back in the day, it was just randomly bolted to the shell, and then yeah. the tom mount itself was in a weird spot on the bass drum. It just like choked everything. Uh, right. I didn't. I didn't notice anything. I did feel like the kit overall was a was a punchier sound than some uh bop style kits i played i think that's just a a trademark of gretch and brooklyn in general it's just a little bit punchier and shorter sound Um, i didn't have to muffle anything at any tuning um and then also didn't feel like i had to eq the heck out of it to get the snap so it it kind of just sounded right so i think whatever they're doing you know that tom mount i could get the drum where i wanted it it didn't shake around it wasn't super duper heavy I didn't feel like I needed more sustain or anything out of it. So, Yeah, I mean, after touring a lot where I'm constantly playing a different drum set every night, I'm actually, my, the next kit I order, whenever that is, will have the bass drum mount on, on the actual shell um, just mm-hmm. because it allows me to get the drums exactly where I want them without it affecting my cymbals. Yeah. And then I can bring yeah. my cymbals in completely separate. And I'm sure you do that when you use a snare basket for your tom or something. Yeah. I get my drums exactly where I want them. Then I bring my cymbals in. So I, I like this configuration a lot. I also love this finish. It's just one, you're not going to, f- I mean, maybe they do offer it, but I haven't seen it on any of the other Gretsch drums. So it's a really cool finish. It's pretty much, it's very similar to the, it's like a darker version of the silver sealer that you would find on the inside of the drums. Yeah. But it's shifted a little bit to the blue. And then you've got maple hoops on the bass drum, which looks super classy. And then the snare drum is in uh, a natural maple finish as well. So yeah, want to give this thing a listen? Yeah, so I think I'm playing this thing in three different tunings maybe. So let's check out all three of them. 
So I can, because I've been listening to you play now for multiple years, and we're fairly close friends, I can totally tell when you're demoing a kit to demo the kit or when you're getting in some practice time while demoing a kit. (laughs) (laughs) There were definitely some Dawsonisms in there. But I do need to know, why did you film this in a 4x3 Oh, it was, it's, it's you, no. I cropped out the outside because it was it was okay. I, it was just funky. I didn't feel like dealing with it. Are you going super retro? Did you <laughs> no, I just cropped it phone? out. I just cropped it out. I was I didn't want to deal with the messiness of my room, so I just cropped it out. You know what, man? <laughs> Portrait mode's where it's at. You crushed it, buddy. Uh, okay, so sound wise. I, I think you're right. I mean, in the high tuning, you get what you expect. But in that mid tuning, the bass drum just completely opens up into something very different. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, this to me would be the kit for someone who plays a lot of straight ahead jazz. And then maybe you're really into like the meters or something yeah. like that. Like something kind of New Orleans kind of funk. It does. It has tons of vibe in that world. And I wouldn't want to... I wouldn't want to like pad up the bass drum to make it sound like a bass drum. I want it to do what it does. And it- yeah, it's just it's a very un- I mean, and I I have not talked to Gretsch about this at all, but it's a unique um, it's a unique product because most people that are looking for these sizes are looking for it as their second kit, and they don't really care about it that much. This is a professional version of this, yeah. which I think is cool and. If you watch the video of Mark playing, you can just see his excitement of like finally someone made a micro kit at the quality of a professional drum set. Yeah, it's an interesting choice that they went thirteen for the floor and the snare mm-hmm. and ten for the rack. I mean, it's it's just not a jazz setup, but right? It does that. The ten inch tom I felt was the one drum that it had some great sound where where I where it wanted to be. It the tuning wise it wasn't as smooth as the floor tom. The floor tom gotcha. I could go super high, super low and just sounded great. The rack tom, there was a point when like it just turned to paper pretty quickly. Well, sure, I, yeah, yeah, of course. But I and, think that's because of size just being a ten Yeah, and, and like you said, the choice to go with a ten is I wonder if it's them saying just so you know, we know this is not a jazz drum set. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to make this a jazz because they already make that. They're right. You know, they're one of the best in the world at making that. So I think that, you know, like I said, when you hit that second tuning right in the mid high, mm-hmm. I love that 10 inch tom. But yep. then after that, yeah, I mean, a 10, especially what is this, a 7 by 10? So it's going to flap out pretty quick. But yeah, pretty I thought cool. it was really cool. So if you guys want more info on that, you can just go to moderndrummer.com and check it out there. Or you can just go to gretchdrums.com and then search under the Brooklyn series. And you'll see it there. And from what it looks like, this isn't a limited edition thing or anything. It looks like it's going to be part of their lineup now. But it only does come in one uh, configuration. And as far as I know, only one finish. So I'm yep. cool with that. I like that. Yeah, like, here's the kit. Get it. And maybe next year we'll add a finish. Maybe we won't. I, I mean, I'm cool with that. Just I'm totally. <laughs> and that's been Gretchen's thing. You know, I, it was a shock to me when I moved there. Like, Would you like white or black? Uh, so, all right. Well, let's get into some listener questions. What do we got? All right. So this first one, um, it's from Eric. What do you guys think of Roger's Dynasonic snare drum, the new Woodshell reissue? Does the snare frame really make it more sensitive and responsive than drums with conventional snares? Uh, I just did a review of this. We will definitely feature these drums in uh, a couple weeks when, when the issue comes out. Um, it, so the question is, does the snare frame... So the Dynasonic, if you're not familiar, it's got this bridge 
that the snare wire is attached to. So the bridge itself moves up and down, so then you're not pulling the snares left and right to make them tighter. So there's independent control of the vertical and horizontal tension on the wires. Mm. And I think, in theory, it seems to make perfect sense. The only downside is you have a frame on the bottom of your drum that you know could get in the way of if you're stacking drums or if you have a basket you have to deal with that or could get damaged or it could get damaged um, but the question is does the snare frame make it more sensitive and responsive to drums with conventional snares all i can say is those drums when i tested them once i figured out how to dial it in they were insanely sensitive insanely responsive but also punchy and controlled the wires didn't rattle as much yeah uh you know, Carter and I were talking a few days ago about his newest copper drum, and he was like, "Man, this thing is crazy sensitive." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's what it does. It it is going to be a very sensitive drum all the time." And I, when I played the Dynasonic, I got a little bit of that metal shell, almost copper shell sensitivity. But uh, my buddy Lou has one; and he brought it in. And I got to play it here, which is always a benefit to play it in your home studio. And I was actually shocked at how fantastic that drum sounds. I mean, I've, I never owned one of the old ones, so I didn't have a lot of history with it. But it sounded like a studio snare drum right off the bat. Yeah. And I was yeah. really impressed with it. So yes. very we'll, cool drums. We'll, we'll definitely feature it more, but I think it, it definitely does work. So we'll, we'll dig into it more. Nice. Uh, next. next one is from Curtis. Could you guys walk us through the process you each take or have taken to study a drummer and their playing? Is it merely learn the songs they played on, or is there more ways to learn the isms of a favorite drummer? Wow. What a great question. It topic is. for another day <laughs> yeah. that's deep uh, I, I would actually really love to know a deep you know thought out answer from you just because i know you've done it on that level of transcribing and everything yeah i think i'll, I'll start this for a education topic later i think the short answer from me is every possible way i think absorbing just the overall like I start from just listening to it and absorbing it on a macro level. What does it sound like? What does it feel like? What sort of things do I think they're doing? And then each time I just start digging in a little bit further to the point where I'm like transcribing note for note, maybe one measure of a fill or something. Right. Um, so that we can definitely take this in a, in a million different directions. But the isms, I think, in general, you just got to listen to that drummer play a lot. Just get right. their, their dialect. Agreed. I'm with you. All right. All right. We'll save that one to dig into later. Um, okay. One more. This is from Squishy. Squishy the drummer. <laughs> Sounds good to me. You want to so, nickname yourself Squishy? Go for it. <laughs> Currently, I'm located in Southern California, um, but and I, but I'm feeling the urge to venture east to New York. So I already am trying to so pursue... So neither one of us can make fun of him because <laughs> we will get our asses kicked at some point. Good. Good to know. I'm already trying to pursue an open position in Manhattan and looking for a place to live, uh, but I'm going to require some kind of secondary income. Um, I'm curious what freelance opportunities there are for people in the area whose musical skills are not quite up to par for the jazz scene yet. Um, I'm willing to get myself in just about anything concerning music, photography, in and around New York. So I, I guess I have to take this one, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I say sometimes the grass is always greener. Maybe um, 
New York is a very crowded scene, so you're going to have to just deal with the fact that if your skills aren't quite up to par, keep in mind that there are dozens of people whose skills are up to par who aren't working as well. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's kind of like for me, the, the reluctance of moving to New York, if you're not ready, I think a year later you're going to be exhausted. So that's my my warning would be <laughs> I, I wouldn't go in saying I'm not quite ready for it. I want to go try to get a gig in New York. Um, but there's plenty of bands, so it depends on what you're trying to do. As far as making money in New York, that might take a while. But you can definitely join bands and start playing around the scene, and who knows what will happen. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm hesitant for it to tell anyone to move, especially to New York, just knowing how how tough it is to survive, just the cost of living alone and all of that. Um, it goes back to something that my buddy in the year Z told me when he moved to Nashville. I asked him, like, did you just move to Nashville, you know, and then start calling producers to get gigs? And his response was, I never would have left New York if I didn't have the same amount of work in Nashville waiting for me. So, Absolutely. So it just depends on where you are. I mean, otherwise, yeah. New York is cool. I mean, it's definitely fun, but it'll eat up your savings really, really fast. It's great advice. I'm good with all that. All right. So that was a, a, a downer. But yeah, come to New York. Give me a call. Let's hang out. <laughs> Well, I mean, if if he was, you know, coming from somewhere in, you know, maybe Green Bay, Wisconsin, it's one thing. But dude, you're leaving SoCal. Oof. You got uh, it's a. Uh, I still have ice in my driveway, so keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. So load in, load out, breaking down all sucks. Once you throw freezing temperatures into the mix, it gets a lot worse. Uh, Oh, yeah, goodness. that's when back in the touring days, I would look at my tech and be like, bro, I'm so sorry. And I will do anything once this is over for you, but I cannot help. <laughs> There's nothing. I just can't be outside in this. Uh, all right, let's get to our picks of the week. By the way, if you guys want to keep sending in your questions, please do so at mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. You can send in audio questions or uh, text questions as well. So, all right, pick of the week. I'm going to go first because we've talked so much about drum history that it could coincides with my pick of the week which is a drumming podcast you know a drumming podcast must be pretty good if a drumming podcast is making it their pick of the week <laughs> and this one is called drum history by bart vanderzee so just oh, look up drum yes. history um i can't even tell you how helpful it was to listen to the history of ludwig drums told by you know bill ludwig the third and it was just like okay cool now i really have a great context of what happened Pretty much what you said earlier in this podcast is exactly what happened, but it's such a Cliff Notes version that we all know it, but it's like, I don't really know what that means. Like, I know they were bought and sold. When were they bought and sold? Why were they bought and sold? What happened? Why would you buy yourselves back? And then why would there be WFL? And who's Leedy? I mean, there's so many questions I had about the hundred and something years that Ludwig's been around. To have those answered in a great storytelling way was really fun. So check out the Drum History Podcast with Bart Vanderzee. There's things like the history of Ludwig drums, um, the history of Leedy drums, uh, the history of female drummers. It's, it's a really, really well done podcast. And his Instagram page is awesome too. It's clips of like forgotten about drum footage from TV yep. or whatever. It's really cool. Really well done. My pick of the week is an album that I 
um, I've listened to a million times and I'd shelved for years and I'm finally back into it is The Meters' first album, self-titled, 1969, The Meters. Um, it's the one that has Sissy Strut, but it also, I mean, that... I've, I've played and heard that song a bazillion times and I've forgotten about some of the other insanely funky tracks on that record. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting study because almost every song is sort of related to the Sissy Strut groove. Like right, totally. Variations and, and different tempo and whatever, but it's an amazing groove. I think for play-along practice, if you'd wanted to get into anything kind of funky, slightly swung kind of vibe, this start to finish is one of the best uh, out there. Um, I actually have some audio, so we're going to drop in a little bit from Here Comes the Meter Man, which is track two. Zigaboo to me is the perfect version of love of conflicted identity like he's got this yes. this kind of like aggressive chill tight loose clean it's, sloppy it's so funny like there I'll, I'll have a flash in my head of a reggae drummer that follows right closely by steve gad followed by like a kid that you know just like <laughs> what are these drums and then all of a sudden it's it's just you know it's all coming together and uh Herlin Riley and then it, yeah it's crazy what you yeah. go through and no one no matter what transcription you see i promise none of you can understand how incredible and in, how complicated these grooves are until you have to cover this stuff yeah. and that's the first time that from that point on you're like Okay, this is a whole different level. Now I fully understand why everyone else um, really holds us in such high regard. Yeah, the By B the way, section dude, of the oh, B section of Sissy Strut. I mean, everyone obsesses over the A section. The B section is where mm -hmm. there's just some. I mean, it's insane. He doesn't play any kind of time. <laughs> it's just <laughs> this syncopated accented thing yeah. through the B section. But yep. for me, the more and more I listen to it, I'm like, he kind of is always hitting these accents and then just kind of varying it. But there's no timekeeping. And whenever right. I play those on a gig, and if I try to do the Zigaboo approach to that section, everyone just looks at me like I'm insane. Because I can't do it right. But even still, they just like, you're not going to play the hi-hat during the B section? <laughs> like, <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, it's a really cool thing. We were lucky enough when we did the last 21 Drums Camp in Ireland, we were lucky enough that uh, Keith Carlock broke down a bunch of this stuff for us. And I didn't realize how heavy he was into the New Orleans scene of drumming and how just astute he was with it. And it was really cool to have him break down a lot of Zig stuff and uh, really fun. Yeah, so check it out, the Meters self-titled album. And then once you go down that rabbit hole, go through the whole discography. I would stay away from the greatest hits type of compilations because it's some of the album cuts that I I'm finding the most magic are in. Nice. So go through the actual records. So the self-titled, the meters. All right, so our outro beat um, is by, how does he call himself? Um, no, it's Leon, Leandro, Leandro Doc, Dr. Leo. Dr. Leo is fine by me. Uh, uh, and, <laughs> and he wrote us like a... a like a story which was yeah. really cool i felt like i was traveling across the plains of the netherlands with him <laughs> 
seriously, I thought it was really well done. I loved it. Yeah, so he's a drummer, scientist, composer, and this one, when you listen to it, you're going to be like, what the heck is going on? But the story behind it is really what's the most intriguing. So this is, what it is, is he had some ideas for some rhythms, and he tapped them out on his phone, just recording them on his phone, and then he opened up a software, Guitar Pro, um, so he can then write out the notation for his beats and stuff. So what you're going to hear is just the rough kind of programmed version of a combination of a shuffle pattern from the art of bob drumming and then the sound of the latch on a cabinet door that that makes a, like a clicking sound every time he opens it. So he just combined those two rhythms into this this thing that's going to eventually become a full-on piece of music. But He's sharing the unfinished version of it in hopes that it will inspire some of you to begin exploring your own creative ideas and not worry about making it sound amazing right away. Just get some ideas down and start messing with it. So this is Dr. Leo's. um, Well, we'll see where he takes it. This is the raw ideas for a couple of weeks. We need more. Uh, we need more intro outro beats. So please send them mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Please include as a Dropbox or a we send it or some other kind of downloadable link. The attachments are getting hung up in our mail server. So I have quite a few that are like, here's my beat, and there's no audio. Gotcha. So if you haven't heard your beat yet, please resend it. Make sure you send it as a download mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Boom. Have a great week, buddy. You too. Stay warm. Yeah, indeed. You uh, stay cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done with you. (laughs) Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.